people wonder what is happening in America, the very heart of this great nation. Tremendous changes taking place. People say you can hardly recognize the America of today to the America of a few years ago. What is happening in America? Today I'm going to talk about that when I answer the question, does God really care about America and Australia? Does God care about what is happening in the world today? But firstly, please let me have the privilege of introducing my wife, Beverly, who is going to come and give you a message. Would you please welcome her today? Happy Sabbath, everyone. Way back in the late 1500s and the early 1600s, there lived one of England's greatest poets and writers, William Shakespeare, who wrote, amongst many other things, no legacy is so rich as honesty. Now, most of us would agree that honesty is the best policy. However, let's not leave it there. 200 years later, another famous writer, a Frenchman this time, wrote, a legacy of honesty without grace and mercy can turn us into villains or devils. In his 19th century novel, Les Miserables, Hugo tells the story of a number of people, including a police inspector who believed in honesty but had no idea of mercy and grace. Another is a thief, John Valjean, who had stolen some silver candlesticks from a clergyman. Now the clergyman believed in honesty and grace and mercy. He knew that Valjean had stolen to get money to buy some food. That didn't excuse what he had done, of course, but on Valjean's capture and being brought back to the uh, clergyman, he was forgiven and was sent on his way a free man. Valjean now understood the importance of honesty and the meaning of grace and mercy. And for the rest of his life, Valjean endeavored to live and to share these great truths with others. In a sense, this is the story of the gospel, isn't it? Because we are sinners. But because of God's grace and mercy, we are forgiven. Grace and mercy. Preachers tell us that grace is getting what we don't deserve. Salvation, forgiveness and eternal life. While mercy is not getting what we deserve. Condemnation and eternal death. Grace and mercy two of the most beautiful words in all the English language, in any language, because we all need them. To anyone here, or perhaps you're watching this telecast, and you haven't experienced God's grace and mercy, I encourage you to do so today. The Bible says, let us give thanks to the Lord for his grace and mercy endureth forever. Amen. Amen. Hello friend, I'm John Carter in Colombia. Behind me is the great city of Bogota, the capital of this amazing country. This city is a city 
of more than 8 million souls. It's up more than 8,000 feet in the Andes. And we've come here today with one purpose in mind, to preach the everlasting gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're here because we have a commission from God. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the everlasting gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The people here need the gospel of Christ. And I'm asking you today, come with us, if not in body, but come with us in spirit. This has been a very, very dangerous city, a very dangerous part of the world. But we believe that we are safe when we are in the hands of God. Therefore, I'm beseeching you in the name of Christ and in the names of these eight million plus inhabitants in the city of Bogota to come and help us to preach the word of God. Please support the preaching of the word of God in Colombia. Please write to me, John Carter, Post Office, Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. In Australia, write to me at the address, Terrigal, New South Wales, Australia. Jesus said, work while it is day. The night is coming when no man can work. Please write to me today. Thank you and God bless you. topic today is, does God, the great God who made the stars, does he care? Does he care about you? Does he care about America? Does he care about anything? Does God care about cancer? Something we're all somewhat a little afraid of. Does he care about cancer, loneliness, poverty, pain, suffering? Does he care about the children of Chernobyl? We've been in that very area. We have particularly Beverly, visited the orphanages that have these poor little kids, the victims of radiation. Does God care about them? Does he care about the grandmothers of Chernobyl? They went back, they're living there because they say this is home. Does God care about the exploitation of the poor? The minimum wage. Lying. Unjust Wars, violence, rape, the abuse of little boys and little girls. Does God care about America? Does he care about the widows of Iraq? Have you heard about them? Hundreds of thousands of them who lost their husbands in the war. And now they've got nobody to take care of them. They're sort of ostracized. Does God care about sin? Does God care about homosexuals? Let me go no further before I say, yes, he does. He loves homosexuals. Does he care about who is sleeping with who? You say, nobody knows, nobody cares. Does he care about pornography or is he taking a nap? It would seem so. I want you to take your Bible today and turn to the book of Jeremiah. And today I will stay basically in the book of Jeremiah the prophet. So turn over here, Jeremiah. We're going to come to chapter 1 
and verses 1 down to 3. Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 1 down to 3. This book is about 2,600 years old. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests of Anathoth, in the territory of Benjamin. The word of the Lord came to him. So what you're going to hear today, my friend, is the word of the Lord. Not the word of the President of the United States. Not the word of the Congress, but the word of the Lord. Therefore, you can believe it. The word of the Lord came to him in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, and through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the 11th year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. This is a book about fighting and bloodshed and the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. It is written in tough, hard times. Word of the Lord came to him. In verses 4 and 5, and what America needs today, what Australia needs, what this church needs is the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. I want you to personalize that because if you read the Bible and you don't personalize it, it doesn't mean a hill of beans. But God said, before you were born, before you were conceived, before you were made in the womb, God says, I knew you, I appointed you. Listen, God sees you. God knows you. God knows what you're thinking right now in church. God knows when you're sleeping with somebody you shouldn't be sleeping with. Before I formed you in the womb, I saw you. God is real. He is almighty. He is holy. He is loving. He is very old. Has an infinite intelligence. Therefore, he knows everything about everything. He exists. The latest theory in science is that God made everything out of nothing. And they tell us this with a straight face. The great Professor Dawkins from Oxford University, I heard him say it. Oh, he said, we now are postulating the theory that God made everything. No, 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 of course not God that the universe was made by nothing out of nothing. They're even putting out books on this, out of nothing. The new craziness. Atheistic, listen, 
Those of you who believe in atheistic evolution, who think they've got the church on the ropes, listen. They teach, though they would not say it as plainly as this. They teach, if you leave hydrogen gas alone by itself for billions of years, it'll become people singing and dancing. If you leave, boil it down, get to the common, lowest common denominator. If you leave hydrogen gas alone by itself for billions of years uh, through evolution, it'll become people singing and dancing. I say balderdash. Now, in case you folks don't know, I am a grandpa. I have a granddaughter called Amelie, and she is a little over two, and she is a chatterbox. And when I was up in the city of San Francisco, she said to me, it's ridiculous. This is her word at present. She has different flavors of the month. And at present, it's not ridiculous, but it's ridiculous. I say with Amelie, the theory that the universe was made out of nothing is ridiculous even though smart people are saying it. He knows everything about everything and everyone. He knows you. Those of you who are sitting down the back, those of you who are sitting down the front, he knows everything. Now, I want you to come to a book that was written by Jeremiah. Therefore, it's an extension of the book of Jeremiah. It's the next book. It's the book of Lamentations. Don't read it when you are depressed. Lamentations. Because it's the Lamentations of Jeremiah concerning the destruction of the city of Jerusalem with blood and horror and famine and misery. If you come to Lamentations, chapter 3, verse 17 and uh, onwards. Lamentations written by Jeremiah, his lamentation concerning the sins of the people. Verse 17, I have been deprived of peace. I've forgotten what prosperity is. So I say my splendor is gone and all that I'd hoped from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Listen to this. God is faithful because God is loving. Jeremiah wrote in the midst of suffering, God cares. But how can God care when he is in heaven and I am on the earth? That is the question. I would read to you today if I had time 
a most excellent statement from this book, The Cross of Christ by John Stott. Everybody ought to read it. The Cross of Christ, the greatest argument that God loves me, my friend, is the cross of Christ. How do I know God cares for me? How do I know that he's not a benevolent grandpa a billion light years away? How do I know that he's not taking a nap? Because in the person of Jesus, he became a man. God became a man. This is the doctrine of the incarnation. God became a man. And he became a man who suffered, who was slighted, who was insulted, who was betrayed by his disciple who was crucified by the Romans, who received him at the hands of his own brothers and sisters, the Jews. On the cross, he tasted the pain of every person who has ever lived. He tasted the pain of cancer and loneliness and heartache and suffering, and rejection. So, he knows. He cares. Does God care about my pain? The cross of Christ proves he cares. If you go to Gethsemane, you'll find that that is outside, of course, Jerusalem today. You'll find that our dearly beloved Roman Catholic friends have left a plaque there. And it has a poem. And I have forgotten the poem except for these few words that say, although we do not understand you, we trust you. We cannot understand with our finite minds the infinite mind of God except that we know He is good and he is compassionate. Great is your faithfulness. And so because he became a man, even though we do not understand him fully, we can trust him fully. So let me say this plainly. God cares about suffering. He cares about the widows in Iraq, the victims of war. He cares about the children of Chernobyl, the family that lost their home. He cares. He cares about the person who lost his job and the soldier back from Afghanistan who lost his legs. So the first point I want you to get in your minds today is that God is infinite in wisdom, but he's infinite in love. He cares for you. He loves you. He cares for you. The cross of Christ proves that he loves you. He has you on his mind. But 
But there is another side to God's caring. Not only is he loving, he is holy. There are two great attributes to the character of God. He is love, but he is holy. And cannot tolerate evil. And that's a major theme of the book of Jeremiah. One we are not altogether comfortable with. God cares about the world. How we live and what we do. The book of Jeremiah, I've read it through many times the last few weeks. Reads like a report on current affairs in America. It is totally and absolutely relevant. Listen. The book of Jeremiah was written about God's chosen special nation, Israel. We in America like to think of ourselves as distinct from all the other nations in the world. We call it American exceptionalism. Ronald Reagan summed it up when he said, America was a shining city on a hill. So was Israel. Jeremiah is totally relevant because it almost seems he is describing our times. Therefore, I want you to notice what was happening to the people of God back there and relate it to what is happening today in America and in the church and in the world. Would you please? I want you to come now to Jeremiah 2, verses 11 to 13. Jeremiah chapter 2 and verses 11 to 13. Here we are talking about the chosen nation, the city on the hill. Has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they are not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glory for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, O heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns. They cannot hold water. There was a great apostasy in the land of Israel. They gave up the truth of God, the truth of the word of God. They got rid of God's system and they made themselves their own system. They forsook the way of God's word and they substituted their own religion. Now, my friend, you will get hopefully soon this magazine if you're on our mailing list. It's 56 pages, it's glossy, it's got great stories in it. It's called Ebenezer. If you want to know what Ebenezer means, look up your Bible. It is a Carter Report magazine of understanding. Inside can bad be good. Nothing too hard for God. We tell 
amazing stories. Signs of the times. My warning from the Pope. Did he give me a warning? Absolutely. Yes, sent a warning to me. Why they buried the bishop on the sidewalk. It, it is the story of how the bishop was buried on the sidewalk. The bishop who said we would never, ever preach in the city of Kiev. It's in here. Miracle in a communist prison plus articles Facebook refuses to advertise. I have an article here on political correctness and the new thought police. I have an article on what is happening in America where people are taking away our freedom of speech. You see? Now, you need to get this and you need to write to me if you're not on our mailing list. If you write to me, we will send you a copy. Now, I want to read to you from a man whom I have appreciated and respected for years. Dr. Billy Graham calls for national repentance. World-famous evangelist Dr. Billy Graham warns that the nation faces increasing threats to civil and religious liberties from its government. He also commented, regardless of what society says, we cannot go on much longer in the sea of immorality without judgment coming. The return of Christ is near. The 95-year-old preacher adds, our early fathers led our nation according to Bible principles. Our country is turning away from what made it so great. The human heart can only be changed by the power of God. And a person, of course, who believes exactly the same is this person here, Dr. Ben Carson, who said it so at the National Prayer Breakfast he said, we are turning away from the word of God and we are drowning in a sea of immorality. We have forsaken the spring of everlasting life. We have got rid of God's system and we are making systems of our own. Great changes are taking place in America are you aware of these things? Pastor Rick Warren, another man whom I appreciate, was being interviewed by the Englishman Pierce Morgan, who personally I like. I think he's one of the greatest of all interviewers. They were talking about many subjects, but then Rick Warren talked to him about same-sex marriage, and he said, why do you still say that marriage is between a man and a woman? He said, America is changing. Most Americans no longer believe like you do, Pastor Warren. He said, don't you think it is time to change the Bible? Hmm. I appreciate that big man, Rick Warren, who looked him in the eye and he said, Pierce, we do not have the authority to tamper with the word of God. But I want to tell you folks something today. There are lots of churches and lots of people who are changing the word of God. But I want them to know something. Judgment is coming. 
Now come over here to Jeremiah 36. You ought to read this book through. It's pretty heavy, but you ought to read it through. It'll do you good. Jeremiah 36, 20 to 24. After they put the scroll in the room of Elishamar, the secretary, they went to the king in the courtyard and reported everything to him. The king sent Jehudai to get the scroll, and Jehudai brought it in from the room, so forth. Then he reads it to the king. Come down to verse 22. It was the ninth month, and the king was sitting in the winter apartment with a fire burning in the firepot in front of him. When Jehudai had read three or four columns of the scroll, the word of God by Jeremiah, the king cut them off with a scribe's knife and threw them into the firepot until the entire scroll was burned in the fire. Verse 24, the king and all his attendants who heard all these things showed no fear. Neither did they tear their clothes. I want to tell you folks something, and I want to say to the people watching across this great country and around the world, today people are making war against the word of the Lord. And they don't fear. They say we're going to do what we, what we want to do, and we are going to force you to follow us. But judgment is coming. The other night, I was listening to Richard Dawkins again in a debate, in which he got completely beaten, debating an old Christian from Oxford University. Richard Dawkins says, we are all here by blind chance. There is no God. The universe was made by itself out of nothing there. We are here simply, we are a product of time plus matter plus chance. And this is the new atheism. It is permeating every American university. Almost every commentator, almost with one notable exception here in America, almost every television outlet run by people who despise the word of the Lord, they're humanists. They believe that man is the measure of all things. I listened to a talk that everybody ought to try to get. You can try to find it on the internet, but a talk by the great Schaefer, Francis Schaefer. You've never read his books, you ought to read them. The God who is there by Francis Schaeffer, you can go to a bookstore and get it. The God who is there, he gave this talk 30 years ago in Dr. Kennedy's church. And he said, there are things happening today in America that you're not going to believe. He said, the humanists have taken over. And therefore, the country is no longer being guided by the faith of her fathers. And tremendous changes are going to happen in America. And Christians, he said 30 years ago, are going to be persecuted because of their faith. 
Would you come over here? It's starting to happen. Come over here to Jeremiah chapter 5. Jeremiah chapter 5 and verse 30 and 31. And I can't understand how people who call themselves Adventists can be so lackadaisical. They don't seem to have any fire in their bones. I thank God for 3ABN and some other of these outlets. Look at Jeremiah chapter 5. Verse 30, a horrible and shocking thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesied lies, the priests ruled by their own authority, and my people loveth this way. Now here is a text, but what will you do in the end? I want to say this to you, and everybody watching the telecast, you can get away from biblical marriage, you can get away from the word of the Lord, you can despise the church, but what will you do in the end? That's the word. What will you do in the end? The Bible spoke about false prophets who deceive the people who are willing to be deceived. What about you? Are you willing to be deceived? I think some of you are. Or do you know the Lord for yourself? Look at Jeremiah 6, 13 and onwards. From the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike all practice deceit. They dress the wounds of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Are they ashamed of their loathsome conduct? No, they have no shame at all. They do not even know how. Blush, come down to verse 16. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. I want to say to every person here today, we've heard a great deal about changing America, but the question is, what do we want to change? Do we want to change the faith of our fathers? The Bible says, look for the old ways and return to the old ways, and there you'll find rest for your souls. But the Bible says, the children of Israel said, no, we're smarter than you are. I notice today that many churches are starting to cave. There are some churches that are standing up for God and they're saying, no, 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 we will not budge from the old ways. But other churches are saying, no, we're going to change. Today we are seeing the rejection of two God-ordained institutions that came from paradise. The first one is the Sabbath. Come over here to Jeremiah 17 and verse 21 and onwards, dear hearts and gentle people. Jeremiah 17, verse 21 and onwards, please. And notice this in the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. Be careful not to carry a load on the Sabbath day or bring it through the gates of Jerusalem. Do not bring a load out of your houses or do any work on the Sabbath, but keep the Sabbath day holy as I commanded your forefathers, yet they did not listen or pay attention. They were stiff-necked and would not listen or respond to discipline. But if you are careful to obey me, declares the Lord, and bring no load through the gates of this city on the Sabbath, but keep the Sabbath day holy by not doing any work on it, then kings who sit on David's throne will come through the gates of this city with their officials. Then their officials will come riding in chariots and on horses accompanied by the men of Judah and those living in Jerusalem, and this city will be inhabited forever. 
people will come from the towns of Judah and all the villages around Jerusalem, from the territory of Benjamin and the western foothills, from the hill country and the Negev, bringing burnt offerings and sacrifices, grain offerings, incense and thank offerings to the house of the Lord. But if you do not obey me to keep the Sabbath day holy by not carrying any load as you come through the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle an unquenchable fire in the gates of Jerusalem that will consume her fortresses. Jerusalem was destroyed. The children of Israel went into captivity for doing the same sins that we are doing today. And one of those major sins is the breaking of the Sabbath. The greatest theologian, possibly of the 20th century, Karl Barth, one of his books, Dogmatics, quotes an authority who said these words. I've said these words before. I've quoted Karl Barth, and I want you to hear it. He said, when the holy day becomes the day of man, society and humanity wither away and the demons rule. Oh, you say, I just don't tell them. Yeah. What will you do in the end? When the holy day becomes the day of man, society and humanity wither away and the demons rule. They're ruling today in America. Was America a better place when people went to church? I live in a street where everybody calls himself a Christian. Nobody goes to church. Once upon, a people, once upon a time, people went to church and they thought they were keeping the Sabbath and they kept Sunday. Were they better people? Absolutely. But today, everything has gone by the board and we have hewn out systems that don't hold water. National apostasy will be followed by national ruin, Alan White said, and the churches are caving. The second institution that came out of the Garden of Eden was marriage. Marriage between man and a woman. This is the word of the Lord. I heard a smart guy on television with a preacher. He said, answer me this, yes or no. Did Jesus ever condemn homosexual acts, yes or no. I wish I'd been there because I would have answered that question with another question. Have you stopped beating your wife yet? Have you stopped beating your wife yet? Can you answer that with a yes or no? Well, if you say yes, it means you've been beating your wife. If you say no, you're still beating her. Come on now. But that preacher was smart enough to say, Jesus said, and he is quoting Matthew 19, in the beginning, God made them male and female. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and his wife and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. That's what Jesus said. But there are preachers who are caving they're giving up, they're running away. Let me say this to you. Don't give in, the, give in to the bullies who want to intimidate you. And people are just caving, they're so weak. 
I like the attitude of those Roman Catholic nuns. Are they the little sisters of mercy? You say, well, I don't believe with that. And we're not talking about that. I like their attitude when they said, no, no, no. And they stood up to the mighty federal government. Mm-hmm. And they're not going to be rolled. You can close us down, they said, but we ain't going to sign no paper. Don't be intimidated by the bullies. Israel was guilty of the worship of other gods. God's people worshiping other gods. Come over here to Jeremiah 7, 16 to 18. Jeremiah 7. See, I'm just taking a bit out of Jeremiah. Can't explain all this book in a few minutes. Jeremiah 7, 16 to 18. The children gather wood, the fathers light the fire, and the women knead the dough, make cakes of bread for the queen of heaven. They pour out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me to anger. So God is capable of getting angry. There was a great turning from God and the worshiping of other gods. Listen to me, my American friends, and listen up. Whatever we put in the place of God or put before God is a false god. Today, people worship money. Money, possessions, material idols. We even have a television show, American Idol. People say it's funny. That's because they're idolaters, idolatry. There's a great emptiness among people today. St. Augustine said, our souls were made for God. They cannot rest until they rest in him. And so today, there's a great vacuum. Got to have the latest gadget. Materialism, the restless pursuit of more things. What do you want? More. God is holy and he cares about it. How we think, what we do, and whom we worship. That is why the first angel's message says, worship him who made the heavens and the earth, the sea and the springs of water. I'm not called to worship the government. I'm not called first and foremost to be an American. I am called to worship Christ. Christ first and last and best in everything and the best citizens are people who believe that. Because God is holy, he is of necessity a God of judgment. Would you come to Jeremiah 25? Jeremiah 25, verse 15 to 18. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me. Take from the hand, my hand, this cup filled with the wine of my wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. When they drink it, they will stagger and go mad because of the sword I will send among them. Judgment is coming. Look at verse 30 and onwards. Now prophesy all these words against them and say to them, the Lord will roar from on high. He will thunder from his holy dwelling and roar mightily against his land. He will shout like those who tread the grapes, shout against all those who live on the earth. The tumult will resound to the ends of the earth for the Lord will bring charges against 
the nations. He will bring judgment on all mankind and put the wicked to the sword. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Look, disaster is spreading from nation to nation. A mighty storm is rising from the ends of the earth. Listen to me. God is not a benevolent grandpa. He is not an oversized teddy bear. God is the holy almighty God. And he has the capacity of anger. You say, no, no, no. Yes, 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 yes. I listened to a sermon by Pastor Charles Stanley on American television. He said, God has had his hand over America. Do you believe that? He said, during the Second World War, we were unprepared. God had his hand over America. When we were attacked at Pearl Harbor, and fortunately the aircraft carriers were out of sea, God had his hand over America. But Pastor Stanley said, that hand is being removed. And as the hand of God is removed from this great nation, my friend, uh, we will be naked before our enemies. Jefferson said, I tremble for my country when I recognize that God is just and justice cannot sleep forever. From this magazine, Ebenezer, there is our article answering Hillary Clinton on same-sex marriage. Of course, the politicians will say anything they need to say to get elected. At least many of them will. But there's an article I've written here that you ought to get. Here it is. Here it is. When demons invade planet Earth, even now the world is being prepared for a demonic takeover. The rejection of God's word, his holy law, and the institutions of marriage and the Sabbath all set the stage for the last drama. The Bible says, as the nations reject the word of the Lord, judgment will come. Jeremiah was not popular with the government, the priests, his church, the false prophets, all the people. You know what they did to Jeremiah? After he preached the word of the Lord, they got him and they threw him into a filthy dungeon. And he sank down to his armpits in the filthy mire. They said, you can read it in Jeremiah, we will not tolerate his preaching. They said, he's even preaching against the government. He's preaching against Jerusalem. He's preaching against our sanctuary. He's preaching against our king. The day will come, as Billy Graham said, when God's people will be persecuted because they preach the word of the Lord. But as Maggie Thatcher said when she was facing the enemy, this woman is not for turning. And neither should we be. God never calls cowards. But I want to tell you folks something. Jerusalem is destroyed. 
completely ravaged by Nebuchadnezzar. But Jeremiah was saved. So back to the question, does God care? Of course he does. Because he is love and because he is holy. The Bible teachers, don't have too much time to tell you this, that God is preparing a new Jerusalem. That old Jerusalem went down with fire because the people had forsaken the Lord. God is going to have a true people and they're going to have a city called the New Jerusalem. I want to go there. What about you? Look at Revelation 21 verses 1 down to 5. My friend, we're living in tremendous times. What a time to be preaching. I can't understand why every preacher isn't out running evangelistic campaigns and preaching. I guess maybe they just don't believe as they ought to believe. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. God says, I'm here now and I'm with you. How beautiful. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, nor mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. At the end of the storm, there's a beautiful day. There's a beautiful place. Is it worth the struggle? It sure is. Is it a struggle? It sure is. It's so easy to give in to complacency and to get into your miserable little comfort zone and say, oh, I just don't want to be disturbed. That's apostasy. But God is going to have a people, tried and true, I sometimes listen to the Gaithers. I had a man sing this song. I liked it. It's in my head. You know how you get a song in your head, you can't get it out? It's like the man said, don't think of the little red monkey when you're trying to make gold. So you know what he thought of, don't you? Little red monkey all the time. I have returned to the God of my childhood. To the same simple faith as a child I once knew. Like the prodigal son, I long for my loved ones, for the comforts of home and the God I outgrew. I have returned to the God of my childhood, Bethlehem's babe, the prophet's Messiah. He's Jesus to me, eternal deity. Praise his name. I have returned. I have returned to the God of my mother, with unfailing faith for the child of her heart. She said, bring them up the way that you want them. Thank God when they're grown, they'll never depart. I have returned to the God of my mother. I learned at her knee, he's the lily of the valley. He's Jesus to me, eternal deity. 
praise his name. I have returned. I have returned to the God of my father, the most godlike man a child could know. I just heard a shout from the angels in glory, praising the Lord. A child has come home. I have returned to the God of my father, creator of heaven and earth, God of the universe. He's Jesus to me, eternal deity. Praise his name. I have returned. I have returned to the Yahweh of Judah. On my knees I did fall where the wall now stands. This lesson I learned as I've worked my way homeward. The Savior of all is a comfort to man. I have returned to the father of Abraham, the shepherd of Moses who called him the great I am. He's Jesus to me, eternal deity. Praise his name. I have returned. What about you? It's time for us to return to the God of our fathers, the God of our mothers. I say this to Americans, it's time for you to start being Americans again and return to the God of the Pilgrim Fathers. It's time for us, whoever we are, wherever we are, to return to Christ and the word of the Lord. Please kneel. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the word of the Lord. We thank you for the word of the Lord that still speaks to us today. And Father, most of us are like the ancient children of Israel. We worship other gods. We've hewn out cisterns, man-made ones, and they're broken. They're not holding water. Many of us have forsaken the truth of the Sabbath because it's too hard for us. We'd rather be at Macy's or Las Vegas, rather be shopping or sleeping. Many of us, dear Father, attempted to give up the truth of marriage and to be brainwashed by these people with these insidious agendas. Our Father, into our hearts, give us a Holy Spirit-born conviction to return to the Bible, the Word of God, and to Christ our Savior. As we're praying here today on our knees, with every head bowed, every eye closed in the presence of our Father. How many will raise a hand and say, by God's grace, I will return to the old ways, the good ways, God's way. Would you raise your hand if that is your prayer today? I have returned, my Father. I'm getting back. I'm going back. I'm going to stand fast. I'm weak. 
I can't do it, but you can. So do it through me. Bless this church today, dear Father, with a new vision. May it be a vision of preaching the message of God in a greater way because of the times in which we live. Bless these precious people and cover them with the blood of Jesus. We worship you, bless you, thank you and praise you. Give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I'll shout it while eternity's Something happened And now I know He touched me And made me 